we're going to continue in worship this morning, and we're going to get into the Word. And, uh, you know, I can't wait. We've been talking about this for a while, what we're, this new series we're getting into, um, which is the book of Ephesians. Um, and I've just been so eager to get into it. Now, we've touched Ephesians a few times in some of the series we've done, but we're going to go through the whole book. So uh, it's going to be pretty fantastic, and I hope you're ready for that. That was weird. Something like grass just fell out of the sky. Um, so anyway, that's what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks, um, and we'll see how God leads us on this, but we really want to kind of just in, engage in every, every morsel, every por- portion. Sometimes we have a tendency as, as followers to know certain verses out of context, right? And we can say things that maybe God never said, and, uh, and so we're going to kind of walk through the book of Ephesians and hopefully see some major themes and some ways that we can change. Uh, as God works in our lives, you know, we came out of this uh, series called The Power of Change, Power to Change, and um, I think that I just see that thread continuing through Ephesians. That wasn't my planning, but I see that uh, continuing through Ephesians. So uh, this morning, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and, and uh, open it up. We're going to pray um, before we get into the Word, as we always do, and then we're going to kind of see what God has for us this morning. So... Uh, please join me in prayer. Father God, this morning we've come into your house to sing praises to you because only you are worthy to be praised. And Father, I pray this morning that every heart and mind has come here for whatever is reason, whatever motivation, Father, that in this time we, we dare just sit at your feet and hear what you have to say to us. We dare to admit the darkness of our own heart, those songs that we just sang, Father, some of the words just get stuck on the way out because we feel it. We feel our distance. And yet, the gospel that you've sent us is that you will not quit, that you are faithful, that you are the one who can be relied upon, and therefore, worthy to be praised from now to eternity. And so today, Father, I pray this is a taste of that. I pray that we can have open hearts, open minds to your word, that we could be malleable, just changeable in your hands. And maybe when we don't know where we're going, that we can trust you with the journey because you are trustworthy. And so today we ask that your spirit intercede, that your uh, word be proclaimed, and that uh, we can be drawn near to you in this time. And we pray these prayers in the confidence in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So go ahead, if you brought a Bible this morning, um, go ahead and get it out. If you didn't bring one, use one of ours. Uh, We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And in the Bibles that we provide, it's going to be on page, I haven't, didn't have it in my notes. My little clicker's not working, Johnny. There we go. Uh, page 811, there you go. So we're going to read a couple verses here as we get started. And uh, I, I want to just make mention of this real quickly. We don't spend a lot of time talking. And by the way, family group signups are going on today. And if you haven't signed up yet, this is a great time to do it. Um, they're kicking off this week. And so if you want to be involved in the family group, there's all kinds of them on the round table in the back. And so sign up. We'll be doing this kind of stuff in family groups, you know, ministering God's word. And so I would encourage you to get involved in a family group. Um, but one thing I'll talk about real briefly is that if, if you look at your Bible, you know, most of us know there's a major division between the, uh, the First Testament and the New Testament. It happens right about there, right? So this much stuff is the First Testament. This is the New Testament. But what we're going to be studying here in the book of Ephesians is, is, it, is it called an epistle, but it literally means it's a letter, right? It's just a letter written from Paul to the church, okay? And so um, whenever we say things in the church like epistle, it just is a fancy way of saying letter. So if we say that, you should just say, it's just a letter, man. That's all that is. So we're going to be reading a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Um, and, uh, and I'm just going to kind of read this introductory um, 
opening words here from the Apostle Paul. This is what he writes to the church. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm always amazed when Paul writes a letter to, to, the, to the friends how encouraging it is right away. I've said that before. I, I know I've said it before to you all, but uh, if, if we opened our conversations that way, I think life would be different for us. Paul says a lot of hard things after that, but on the front side, he sends this greeting to his people. And so this morning, I'm going to do something a little different, something I learned actually from my last family group I was in. You know, if you didn't go in a family group last season, like you just maybe missed an opportunity to grow. Because one thing that um, I was amazed by, we studied the book of, um, was it Philippians, I think? Is that right? And uh, yeah, and it was, it was a great study. And, uh, and, and we, we started by reading the letter, but wanting to know what in the world is this letter about? You know, like, in other words, if you saw an, an email that I sent to a friend of mine, but didn't understand the context that it came out of or how it worked, or what was the purpose of it, then you would maybe misread it, misunderstand it. And so I started digging around this week and wanted to know, well, what, what's this church in, uh, in um, Ephesus about? Like, what's their, their, listen to what Paul says again. I want you to hear it again. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, right? An apostle means someone who's sent out by God's will. And that gave me wondering, like, well, what's, what's that mean? Like that you're, you're sent by God? What does that even mean? And then he says, it's from me, Paul, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ to the saints in Ephesus. Now, if you've not been called saints before, that's a kind of a cool way to be addressed, right? And, and I know if you're like me, you're probably thinking, I ain't a saint. You got the wrong guy, right? Uh, you've mislabeled me. But Paul's about to speak into the lives the truth of what they have in Jesus Christ, Right? the saints. And he calls them, another word, the faithful in Christ Jesus, he says. The faithful. What does it look like to have a life like that? And then he says, grace and peace to you. We'll check it out. We're going to jump back into the book of Acts this morning. And um, we're going to kind of read about Paul and his friends. And so if, uh, if, if you could turn with me as well. Oh, there it goes. I pushed it twice. It's seven, 771 in our Bibles. And we're actually going to spend our time today in the book of Acts, because the book of Acts tells us a story about how Paul first comes to know Ephesus. Today, is, we're, we're calling it like welcome to the city. It's like his introduction to Ephesus. But we're going to start way back in, in 18, um, and we're going to roll through here. We got a lot to cover, so bear with me. And uh, if you get bored, just yell, I'm bored, and we'll, we'll address that issue for you, okay? You know I'll do that too, right? Okay, I'll come out. All right, so here we go. This is what it says. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla. Okay, hang on a second. First of all, it says, after this. And I'm like, well, after what? After what? Paul is going around. He is in Athens, and he's proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the unique thing about the, the, the gospel he proclaims comes when he says that, that um, God had given proof to this by all men by raising Jesus from the dead. It happens in verse 31 of the chapter 17. So he's preaching Jesus, you know, the Messiah, proved because God raised him. And, and everyone, it says, when they heard about the resurrection, some sneered and others said, you know, we, we want to hear more. But, but it, it was a divisive issue. And, and so after this, Paul leaves Athens and he goes on his journey. So Paul, a man sent by God to proclaim the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he shows up here, and he meets these two folks. Now, these, are, these become friends of Paul's. It's kind of interesting. 
Uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Can you say that? Aquila and Priscilla. That's kind of fun to say, isn't it? Aquila and Priscilla. I don't know when they got married. Like, was that kind of a funny invitation? You know? W- welcome you on behalf of Aquila and, and Priscilla. And the Thrilla in Manila. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I, I just go in. Um, and it says, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews out of Rome. So these people were displaced from their homeland. They were sent out by someone who didn't want them living there. And, and Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker like them, you remember Paul made tents. He was a laborer by trade. He stayed and he worked together with them. So here you have three tent makers on the run. You know what I'm saying? They're like working together. So every Sabbath, then Paul would go into the synagogue and reason with the Jews and uh, persuading Jews and Greeks is what the word says there. Now I'm going to roll through here. Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. Paul devoted himself exclusively at at that time to preaching, to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was indeed the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. What I want you to see here, when Paul writes this letter later to the Ephesians, he says, I'm an apostle by by the will of God. He's been sent out into this kind of unknown land to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And at this point in the book of Acts, he's getting beat up for it. He's a tent maker. He's a hard worker. He's, He's kind of rooming with friends. He has no place to stay. You remember Jesus said that? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he's following God with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength right? And he comes here, and he meets these folks, and he begins to proclaim the gospel to the point that he gets beaten pretty badly. And uh, I love that he shakes off his clothes, and I was thinking about that, like, if that's some kind of, like, a religious thing, you know? Like, um, what was the, uh, uh, the Monty Python skit where he's like, you know, I, uh, I, I knee in your direction, or, you know, like, what is that? You know what I'm thinking about? Um, like, like, somehow, like, you know, like, like you make a gesture. <laughs> you know, guess what I think? Paul says, I shook out my clothes. I think he got beat down. I mean, I think he got beat up. And we got up, he's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he shook off his clothes and said, I'm out of here. What am I doing this for? Why am I telling you this? Look at what it says. I want to hit one thing and I'm going to jump ahead in the scripture this morning. But this is what it says. A word came from God. You know what? We just sang that song. He never, he never quits. He always reminds us. He speaks to us. Listen to what it says. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not become silent because I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city, right? And it says that Paul stayed there for a year and a half proclaiming the gospel in a town called Corinth. Now, move ahead with me to verse 18 because this is kind of cool. This is, we're trying to get at the story of Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila and Priscilla, right? Okay, so here's what it says in verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and when he left the brothers, he sailed for Syria, accompanied by, look at, check, check the verse, Priscilla and Aquila. That's just wild to me. So, so Paul comes through this region proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and kind of like a snowball rolling down a hill, he just picks people up and they go with him. They just move on. Look what it says. It says, he stayed for a while, and when he left by boat, he was accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. 
This is going to become pretty cool in a moment. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off because he had taken a vow, and they arrived at Ephesus. Here they are now. This is where we're going to get into the town of Ephesus. They're walking into the city where Paul then left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went to the synagogue and began, look at what he does, reasoning with the Jews, the, the, the religious leaders of the time. He begins to try to explain to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he went to the synagogue reasoning with the Jews, and they asked him to spend more time with them, but he declined. And as he left, he promised, I will come back if God wills it. And then he set sail for Ephesus. They landed at, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and he went down to Antioch. Now, Paul's going to go on with his trip. But something that I think is interesting here is that Paul, Paul, Paul kind of rolls through, meets this husband and wife team who are kind of on the, you know, they're this transient place in their life. And then they just go with him. I don't know if that strikes you as odd at all. Like, I can't, I, I think about in our, our life today, okay, and I want to say something. I don't know if you believe that God is moving now like he was moving then. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I think many of us don't think that's true. I think if we thought that God moved like he moved in the Bible, we would look at our life differently. I wonder if there's someone who could come through and proclaim a gospel that you would say to your wife and your children, hey, pack the bags, we're going with them. I wonder if that's a reasonable thing to even ask for. Some of you in your life are in a transitional period. You're kind of between places. And I wonder, is God doing the work right now that he's going to call you for with a new group of friends, a new group of co-workers? That's how Paul refers to Priscilla and Aquila. He says they're co-laborers in the gospel. They're equally yoked to the call of God. And I wonder in our lives, do we expect that from God? Do we expect that he would use us in that way, that he would ask that of us? Do we expect that the God of all creation would put a circumstance in our life that would push us from our comfort so that we could continue to follow him? I wonder, do we believe that's possible today? Well, Paul goes on, and he's proclaiming the gospel. And you know what's so funny about Paul is, like, Paul is exhausting to read because the man never quits. He never quits. Like, I read Paul, and I'm like, dude, slow down. Just slow down a minute, you know? I mean, Jesus took more time off than Paul, I think. You know what I mean? Like, he would go just, like, sleep in a boat or walk up a mountain, and, you know, he would just do some things that Paul was just going and going and going. He was a driven man. But check this out. This is what's cool about the book of Acts because you see Paul, he runs up and he starts proclaiming the, the gospel throughout Galatia. Does that sound familiar? Strengthening all the disciples everywhere. Verse 24, read with me. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, enter character number four. Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So Apollos shows up on the scene. And he says, he was a learned man and a thorough, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. So Apollo shows up, man on the scene. He knows what God's word says. It gets better about Apollos. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke great, with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, although he knew only the baptism of John. Now, <laughs> when, the, when the Bible says that you teach accurately, that is quite a statement. 
The, the word accurately means like you can take, you know, I showed you the division of the Bible there, the First Testament and the New Testament. Apollos was a was skilled orator. He was a gifted communicator. And he came to the people and he knew scripture and he could explain based on the First Testament that Jesus was son of God and son of man, like we just sang about. That he was the fulfillment of a promise that God had made at the beginning to his people. I will redeem my people. And Apollos knew this, and he was teaching it, and he came to Ephesus by God's design in this time. So I just want you to get a picture of, of Apollos, right? Now, you might know some of Apollos' stories later on because Paul uses him as an example, and he says, some say, I follow Apollos, and others say, I follow Paul. And he says, who are we but servants of God? We are nobody. Don't hang your hat on who your pastor is. Don't hang your hat on your favorite TV evangelist. Don't hang your hat on your aunt who is more religious than anyone you know. I want to challenge you, as Paul does, that we hang our hat on Jesus Christ. That we cling to what he did on the cross as work done, and we just proclaim it. That's our job. And so Apollos comes through, and he explains from the scriptures, it says, about the Lord Jesus, about the way. Now, check it out. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Isn't that fun? And they invited him to their home. So they just said, hey, hey, that was a great message today, Pastor. Why don't you come on over for some lunch? Check out what happens. And once there, they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Tent makers, people thrown out of Rome, people been hanging out with the Apostle Paul, and they're like, that was really good, man. But you know what? There's a few things you need to get, get right. I wait often for that Sunday, people, where somebody's going to be like, hey, hey, come here. Because he heard them as they explained to him the way of God. Look at what the word says, more adequately. He was proclaiming inadequate gospel. We're going to tell you why in a moment here. We're going to jump into this. But it says this. So when Apollos then went to go, wanted to go on, the brothers encouraged him, and they wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And on arriving, he was a great help to everyone. So Apollos went on. I mean, he wasn't like chastised. He wasn't like, you're off, you're pulling, you're, he got to keep preaching the gospel, but he preached it more fully. Check this out. Um, and he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate. 19. So here we go. So while Apollos has now gone to Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived back at Ephesus. I want to remind you what I'm doing here because I don't want you to think, man, why, you know, I think sometimes we think that the Bible is like some old book that's irrelevant, but there is a narrative happening here of these people's lives, and I want to challenge you to stop thinking that they were different than you are. That the God then is a different God than God now that Jesus' death on the cross was more profound then than it is now. And I don't want to challenge all of us to think that the Apostle Paul, because we call him Saint Paul, we named churches after him, somehow walked on water without Jesus, right? Somehow did all these things without Jesus. He had the same Savior that we have. And here comes Paul, and he comes back. The, the reason I wanted to spend some time here, too, is because the, the book of Ephesians, it opens up like a cannon going off. 
Like if you, and I'm going to, by the way, the homework for the next few weeks is just to read the book of Ephesians. You can read it in about an hour, hour and a half, depending on how fast you read. It's really easy to read it. I'd encourage you to read it a few times a week. But when you get in the opening chapter verses of of Ephesians, it's just like, you you know that... um, that riot at Six Flags, there, there's a cooler one, I'm sure, by now, but I remember that we used to, uh, they had that ride, Mr. Freeze. Do you remember that? You ever ridden Mr. Freeze? Yeah? The cool thing about Mr. Freeze is, it's a, who's a roller coaster fan? Who is not a roller coaster fan? Yeah, good for you. You should go with me. I'd drag you out there. I love not roller coaster fans. They're the most fun to watch. Like, oh, that's fun. Okay. God forgive me. It's fun, though. Talk people to it. No, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You just got to ride it once. Uh, but you know, the coolest thing about Mr. Freeze, when it was brand new, they would fill that place with smoke. You know, they had all this smoke coming off of the ice, supposedly, in Mr. Freeze, you know. And, and they had these two tracks, but there was no click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, click. It's something called magnetically induced acceleration. Isn't that crazy? They can turn magnets off and on so fast that you can almost pr- feel your eyeballs pressing into the back of your skull when you leave the little tunnel. But the coolest thing about it was when we were standing there in line, you were waiting, there was all this smoke, and the, the machine would leave the, the, the thing so fast that it would suck the smoke down the tunnel. And they'd be gone. You'd be like, what was that? First time I wrote it, man, I remember I had chills. I was, whew, Mr. Freeze. I had chills. And those people would come back in like 30 seconds. And they're like all discombobulated, you know, their hair sticking all crazy, and they look terrible, but they just had an experience that they can't quite describe. Love it. You look ridiculous. I don't care. It's awesome. Let's go again. You run around, you know, jumping over the things. That's where the book of Ephesians opens up. It, it opens up like this shot out of the just. Paul's going right off the gate. And I think, well, how can the Apostle Paul write a letter like that to a church? Because, Paul, I'm not ready for that letter. You're, you're going way too fast. But here's where I think it comes from, and it comes from the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. I want you to see what Paul brings to Ephesus. It says, when Apollos was at Corinth, look with me, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, Right? disciples, learners, people seeking Jesus. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered this way, Ephesus. No, we had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, right? They did not know what Paul was talking about. So Paul asked them the next question. Well, what baptism then did you receive? And they said, John's baptism is what they received. Paul says this, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, right? I want to remind you, this comes from the Gospel of Matthew. There's a verse here, if I can pull it up. It's, um, I'm not sure where my guy is not going today. Can you push that forward for me? There should be a verse from Matthew. Yep. There we go. And this is what it says. Oh, no, that's not it. That's Paul's verse. Is there one for Matthew in there? This is what he, Paul, Paul, if you remember the story of John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness and he's saying, he's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, right? 
He's saying, turn, because you're going to be destroyed. This is like the Old Testament way of proclaiming. This is the Old Testament prophet work. He's saying, matter of fact, there's one point where the religious people come out, and he gets offended, and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee your impending destruction? You know what I'm saying? So he, he was proclaiming a repentance, and this is what they say here in verse 4. Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, meaning I'm going to stop doing bad. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to seek God's uh, plan for my life. I'm going to look it for him first. Read with me. He told the people to believe in the one that's coming after him. That's what Paul says. That is, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. You see Paul, he brings it back, and he says, believe in Jesus And this is what the word says. On hearing these words, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized is an interesting word, isn't it? Like, I wonder, like, were they by a pool right then? Like, did they just all of a sudden be like, oh, and while you're here, now you've gotten both repentance and Jesus. You you know you're a sinner, but now you know that Jesus died to save you. We got it baptism, and I've told you this before, it means this, this renewing, this refreshing, that something happened. They were baptized. It could have been a physical baptism, but they were baptized in Jesus' name. Look at the word. It says, in the lordship, in his rulership over them. Things changed. It was no longer get right because God's coming. It was like God came and he died for you. And they're baptized into the truth of the gospel. Read what happens next. When Paul then placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. See, Paul comes back, and he proclaims a bigger God. He, he proclaims a God that ain't back there that ain't out there ominously. He proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah who died to forgive your sins. And I'll remind you, lest you think this is some crazy talk, because first of all, it's from the Bible. But secondly, Jesus said, I would stay with you, but it's better that I go so that I can send the counselor to be with you, the counselor that would live in you to teach you to be my disciple. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And if we don't understand fundamentally when Paul writes back to the church in Ephesus that he's talking about a bigger God than what maybe many of us are comfortable with, we're going to miss it. We're just going to miss it right out of the gate. It says that they were baptized into Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came and they began to speak in tongues and prophesied. They, They became God's people they were about 12. Isn't that interesting? 12 men there in all. 12 disciples had their lives changed that day. And so Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Um, but some of them became obstinate and refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture halls. And this went on for two years. Listen to the word. So that all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in that providence of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. 
So Paul and his band of merry men and women began to go around and teach this gospel of a God who is with us, a God who loves us so much to die for us, and a God that is not leaving us to flounder on our own. Are you listening to me this morning? I mean, there's nothing, that, there, there's no line when you believe in Jesus, there's no line that you have to cross to receive God's power in your life. There's no difference. He's done it. The work is finished. It's ours. And that's what Paul and his band of, of brothers and sisters do. They go through and they keep proclaiming this gospel until everyone has heard Jews and Greek alike. That's kind of funny. That's kind of crazy. And maybe if you're like me, you're thinking, that's pretty, that's exciting, man. I, I, I want that. I want to follow God like that. I don't want it to be a dusty old thing. I want it to be a real thing, a life thing, a visceral thing. I want to know God intimately. We've been talking about this for a while. But the next thing that happens, and this is going to be our final thought for the day, and it's going to come at the end of the book of Acts. And I would encourage you to read this whole section if you want. I kept reading through. I'm like, where am I going to jump in and out? And I couldn't find my spots because there's so much going on. But look in verse, in verse 17. This is what it says. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. You know what came to, to, to make them realize? They realized there was a spiritual battle going on in their life. If you read the verses before it, there were men going around proclaiming a gospel they didn't know. They were saying, that Paul guy, let's, we're going to preach the gospel he's preaching. So you know the one that Paul knows? And, and, and uh, they were beat up because of it. They were banged up because of their encounter. And it says, because of this encounter, when they, the people became no, known of it in Ephesus, they were seized with fear. They became very serious about respecting Jesus and his power. He was held in high honor. And listen to what happens in Ephesus, because this is going to become key, key to what we see later in the book of Ephesians. Many of those who believed, listen, who believed already, now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. It says, many who believed came and confessed their evil deeds. It doesn't say people who didn't know, people who, people who were just heard the gospel for the first time and they had to come forward and tell the pastor all their sins finally because they could have that release thing that happens and then they went on about their merry way. It was the people who had believed that Jesus died for their sins were so convicted because there's a spiritual battle going on that they had to run and confess their sins, their evilness to one another. That's what the word says. They confessed it. And listen to what happens lest you believe this wasn't serious repentance they were after. A number who had practiced sorcery in the town of Ephesus, by the way, brought their scrolls together and burned them in a public display. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Man, I wish I had 50,000 drachmas. Don't you? Do you, you guys, college guys, want some 50,000 drachmas? Do you, know, do you know what a drachma is? Does anybody know? Huh? It's a day's wage. What? It's a day's wage. Do you have your calculator on you? See if you can find that. Do you guys just passed on drachmas? Because it's a Bible word. It's like the yard sale. It's like 50,000 drachmas. Now I'll pass. Thanks. 50,000 days wages. What would that be? Anybody have a guess? Is that it? 
Get out your gadget. Nice. Da, 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 da. You guys, anybody have a guess what that would be? Listen to me. They came and they burned their scrolls as a public display of, display of their repentance. What's minimum wage now? How much? Eight twenty-five. Are you serious? That makes me feel old. I won't tell you what the minimum wage was where I was working back back in high school. All right. Listen, eight. That's sixty-six dollars. Right. $66. By the way, let's do something else real quick here. 50,000 days wages, approximately, okay, divided by 360. How many years do you think that is? Who did the math? Had a boy. Yeah. 136.9. Not that we're counting. 137 years of labor. That was a bonfire. That was some serious repentance. Do you know what I'm saying? Check it out. 137 years, 137 years, 825, we said, right, from minimum wage, eight hours a day, 50,000 days. 3.3 million dollars. 3.3 million dollars worth of scrolls. I, I don't know if you're like me, but I'd have been like, hey, we can sell these on eBay or something, guys. You know, uh, Corinth has a good thing going down the street with their sorcery. Someone over there can use them. You know, Jesus, we'll give you the money. We'll give you 10%. <laughs> they burned these because they were so convicted. Why? Because when you understand the reality that God is alive and that he has made you and breathed into you, you have to, you just give things up that are bad. You just quit. Boy, that's where we live our lives. That's where I live my life. Just giving it up, trusting God, following him. And I have never done anything close to that. I've never done anything close to that in my life. 3.3 million dollars. By the way, those were silver coins. They'd be worth more now than that, right? Given our economy. Look at what happens. I told you we're going to close this thought, but what I want to see is that God in Ephesus is bad for business. God's bad for business in Ephesus. They have a booming economy. And I want to tell you what the economy is based on. Here it is. About that time there arose a great, dis I'm in verse 23, by the way, a great disturbance about the way, that's the way of Jesus, a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines for Artemis brought in no little business. My favorite verse of this passage of scripture, because I say all the time, no little business, because it's like a little sarcastic. He brought in no little business for the craftsmen. That means he was a money maker. He was the big dog. He made all the Artemis shrines around Ephesus. They were everywhere. You had to have one in your house. You had to pray to it. You had to have your stuff. And you had to sacrifice to get it. And he was upset because his business was going away. And he called them together and he said, men, you know we receive a good income from our businesses. And you see and hear how this guy Paul and he has convinced and led other people astray in Ephesus. And it's practic practically the whole province of Asia now. He says, listen to what he says, that man-made gods are no gods at all. And there is danger not only to our trade, we'll lose his good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited 
and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the providence of Asia and the world, will be re- removed, re- uh, robbed of her divine majesty. I mean, do you see what's happened? He says, this is a serious threat to our false goddess. And I don't know if you're like me, but you know, one of the things, matter of fact, one of the things that's uh, funny is what Paul's accused of is causing people to worship God. That's what his accusers say. You're just making people worship God. But you know, one of the things is that we have false gods all around us. And they're everywhere. And when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, and when people understand that the battle is real, and I might really have to move, I might really have to change my lifestyle, I might really have to care about my neighbor, and not maybe the neighbor across the street where I can stay in my nice house, but the neighbor across the the, the world where I stay in a a not nice house, that's scary stuff because it threatens the very fundamental base of our culture. The gospel of Jesus Christ stands as a threat to everything that you and I hold so dear. But you know what the irony is? That just proves how much we aren't worshiping Jesus Christ. Paul says there's more at stake, Ephesus. There's more important things than the trappings of the false god. So today, I don't know for you what it is. You know, look at your life, and what is it that you fall down at the altar of? I can think of so many things in my own life that I come, and I just kneel down and worship before Jesus, and I say, and I'll even sometimes kind of make it Christian. I'll say, well, I'm using this for Jesus' glory. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. You don't need that to worship me. What about you? The question that we always ask is, if the gospel is true, what must we do? And uh, man, I, I want to answer that with you, church. So we're going to end there. We're going to get into the book of Ephesians next time, next week, that, that he opens it up. I would encourage you to read all of 18 and 19 in the book of Acts because it goes on and on. And Paul does not stop. By the way, he gets beat up. Matter of fact, this is kind of funny, but I'll leave you. He, he doesn't get beat up. This time, a guy standing next to Paul gets beat up <laughs> because Paul preaches and this other guy gets punched for it, which that's what happens if you hang out with people who preach the gospel. <laughs> you get, you know, associated. Uh, so... But the question is like, I don't want those in my life. And I'm going to pray that if you don't want those in your life, you can remove them, the false gods. And if you think that that's different because it was Artemis and it was a statue and that was obviously not a real God, I want to ask, what about your income? What about your car? What about your house? What about your family? What about your lifestyle? What about your plans? What about your retirement? What about your future? What is the God that you are not willing to lay down? for the true living God of Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father God, this morning we've come here to encounter you and, and not in a false way and not in some distant way, but intimately. We ask at the beginning that your Holy Spirit would intervene on our behalf, that you would speak into our lives and our hearts. And I pray today, Father, that if that work is being done, that we would only respond to you, that we would only give credit to you, And I pray, Father, that that as we uh, continue in this study, that we don't put people in Ephesus on a pedestal, but we say they were sinners just like us. They were a mess. 
They had priorities wrong, just like us. And yet, you loved them so much that you died to bring us back to you. Today, Father God, I pray that we would all know that truth, that there is none other than Jesus. Nothing, no one in heaven or earth above his name. And Father, if that's our conviction of our hearts, if that's how we feel, then I pray that you would help us to continue to cast down idols, to get rid of them, that we could be free to worship you, free to follow you, and free to do your will in our lives. May we uh, risk it all, because in the end, it's all meaningless, except for Jesus. And we pray in his name. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Amen.